0: Well, hey there, guys. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to the channel for this installment of Open Mic, the show where the mic is open. The floor is yours. What are the things that you guys want to talk about? That is what we are here to discuss. Good to have you guys here as uh we've come back to open mics. Of course, yesterday was our first open mic back uh, that we've had in a number of weeks. Uh, and just to give you guys a little bit of warning for tuning in now, I am still recovering. So um, <clears throat> you will have to put up with hearing me clear my throat or, you know, uh, I'm going to have, uh, some good old Hall's lozenges on hand and sipping for my drink to try to keep my cough down as much as I can. But I was able to manage it okay yesterday, so it's good to be here. Good to have all you guys here. Thanks a lot for joining us. And, uh, yeah, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Most importantly, we're here to take your comments and questions and topics of the stuff you guys want to discuss. And there's two different ways to get a topic or question on open mic. The first way, and the main way, is to use our tip link that you can use anytime 24 hours a day. Just go to streamelements.com slash johncampia tip. You'll find a link to that down in the description of the video. And you can send in a comment or question anytime 24 seven. Now, like I said, we haven't had an open mic in a number of weeks, so we're still getting caught up on those, but if you send one in, we'll, we'll get caught up to it in the next day or two. The second way to get in a topic or question is if you are watching live right now, and it's gotta be live, you gotta be watching live, you can use the Super Chat feature and send in questions that way, and uh, we will get to those at or near the end of the show. All right. With that all down, guys, I wanna get things started with this. Picking up on a topic that we kind of addressed a little bit earlier today. Of course, the Oscars, uh, the nominations came out for the Oscars this morning. And of course, every year, because film is subjective and everybody has different opinions and different tastes and thinks this movie should be here or that actor should be there, whatever, there's always a lot of grumbling and complaining and (laughs) and discussions going on the day that the Oscar nominations get announced. And that's understandable. That's part of what makes the Oscars the Oscars, right? Because it's not like the Super Bowl, where... You just put two teams in there, let them play, and whatever team wins, they get the Super Bowl, right? This is—it's a subjective uh, judgments being made by people in the movie industry about what was best. Now, where things got a little bit prickly was, I find for the most part, the decision by the Academy and the voters to not nominate Greta Gerwig from Barbie for Best Director or Margot Robbie for Best Actress for Barbie. And here's the thing. A lot of times, and I've already seen it online, I've seen it online today in a couple of places, but it happens every single year. Somebody eventually says, and I've seen a lot of people say this, well, Barbie didn't direct itself. Well, yeah, we know, but... like I said uh, earlier today on the John Campy show, it's a little bit of a numbers game too, right? Uh, oh, why is my camera focusing? That's the problem sometimes when I have my camera focused on what's behind me. You know what? I'm gonna have to change my background, I think. Give, give me a second here. I'm gonna change my background uh, from that to this. That's what I'm gonna change my background to. That way my camera won't try to focus on Margot Robbie's face. I get it. If my face and Margot Robbie's face are in your field of view, you will probably naturally try to focus on Margot Robbie. I get it. Anyway, um, it's a numbers game, right? The reality is there are 10 films nominated for Best Picture. There are only five spots for nominations for Best Director. That automatically means, at minimum, five films that get nominated for Best Picture, their directors will not be nominated for Best Director. It's just the way it is, right? It's a numbers game. And it's just the way. And as a matter of fact, you know, just go back a couple of years. (coughs) Ben Affleck wasn't even nominated for the film that won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. The the year uh, Argo won Best Picture. Won Best Picture. The director of that movie wasn't even nominated. So at any rate, So here's the thing. Let's start with the Greta Gerwig thing. And we talked like I said, we talked about this a little bit on the John Cabe show earlier today, but I think it's worth going over here. So you got Justine uh, Treat, who I always mispronounce her name, so forgive me. But from Anatomy for a Fall, listen, that movie was brilliantly directed. I saw it last month, brilliantly directed. Killers of the Flower Moon. Too long, but brilliantly directed by Martin Scorsese. Oppenheimer. Listen, Christopher Nolan is going to win this category this year. He's he's just going to win. He's going to win it this year. Poor things. Uh, Yorgos, that movie is brilliantly directed. Finally got around to watching it. I was very very late to that one, but brilliantly directed film. And Zone of Interest, very I mean, somber, artistic, one watch kind of movie. Chris pointed that earlier today but brilliantly directed, right? There are five nominated Best Picture movies whose directors are not getting nominated. Five brilliantly directed movies by brilliant directors who aren't going to get nominated. That's the thing. The Academy Awards, this is why I say every year, it's the hardest award to win, right? It's the hardest award to win. Because you can't just do a great job. You have to do a great job hoping five other people don't also do a great job equal to or better than you did. Right? It's not like, oh, if you score a 90, you get a gold ribbon and up to 100 people can score a 90. Only five nomination spots. And while you guys know, I think Barbie was great. Right? I'm a fan of that movie. I think it's great. And I thought Greta Gerwig did great directing it. But the reality is, I ain't bumping Justine off that list for her. I'm also not bumping Martin Scorsese off. I'm not bumping Christopher Nolan off. Obviously, he's going to win. I'm not bumping Yorgos off, and I'm not bumping Jonathan off. I think every single one of them fully deserved this nomination. And You know, Greta Gerwig was so good that I wouldn't have had a problem if she had made the list. I wouldn't have had a problem with it at all because she did a great job. But there is nobody on this list that you can go, oh, Greta Gerwig clearly did a much better job than this person. Kick that person off the list. I'm sorry. I, it just, it's not there. And then as far as best actress goes for uh, Margot Robbie, who I think is great in the movie. I do. I think she's great. But it's not Margot Robbie's best performance. Like, she was better in I Am Tanya, which she got an Academy Award nomination for. And she was amazing in that. And, and she's a fabulous actress. But listen, Annette Bening in Nyad, not my favorite movie, but oh my gosh, it's, it's Annette Bening at the height of her powers. Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon is considered one of the favorites to win. Sandra Hewler in Anatomy of a Fall, brilliant. Carrie Mulligan in Maestro. I thought she was the best part of that movie. And Emma Stone, who's the odds-on favorite to win Best Actors this year in Poor Things. Who do you bump off this list for, for Margot Robbie, who was great? She was great. And I wouldn't have complained, much like the uh, Greta, Greta Gerwig situation, I wouldn't have complained if she had been nominated, but... I ain't bumping Annette Benning and her performance in NIAD. I ain't bumping her off. I ain't bumping off Carrie Mulligan and Maestro, who would probably get my third place vote. She was incredible in that. Definitely not Emma Stone, who's probably gonna win. I'm like, I'm sorry, but there's just guys, there's only five nominees. And and here's the other thing. This is the other thing. <coughs> I found that certain people I've talked to uh, over text message and on the phone today who is like, uh, oh, no, Margot Robbie was robbed. It's like, when I asked, did you see Anatomy of a Fall? Well, no. Well, then how can you say that Margot Robbie should have been nominated over Sandra Hewler if you didn't even see Anatomy of a Fall? Did you see Niad? Well, no. Well, then how can you have... How can you have a strong opinion that Margot Robbie should have gotten the nomination over Annette Bening? You can't. Unless you've, you've seen them, you can't have a strong opinion that this person should have beat out this person if you didn't even see what that person did in that movie. And you saw how good they did in that movie. So, yeah, it's just, it's one, again, for me, Barbie is great. It's not good. It's a great film. It's also the number one film of the year, box office-wise. It made more money than any film of the year this year. And it's a terrific accomplishment, and I really enjoyed the film. And Greta Gerwig should be very proud. She deserved to get nominated for Best Screenplay, and she was nominated for Best Screenplay. It deserved to be nominated for Picture of the Year, and it got nominated for Best Picture of the Year. And they were good enough that if Greta was nominated, I would have been cool. If Margot Robbie was nominated, I would have been cool with that because they were both great. But did they get snubbed? No. No, they weren't snubbed. And, and you guys know me, right? Like, I, I think snub is an overused word. You're only truly snubbed if you legitimately had a chance to win. I, I think snub should be a rarely used word. Like, Ben Affleck was snubbed for a Best Director nomination. But uh, Greta Gerwig was not snub. She had no chance of winning this category. No chance. Like, Christopher Nolan's going to win this award. And if it's not Christopher Nolan, it might be Yorgos. And if it's not Yorgos, it'll probably Martin Scorsese. The, The reality was, Greta Gerwig had no chance of winning this award this year. Margot Robbie had no chance of winning against Lily Gladstone or Emma Stone this year. So it's kind of a moot point. The people who got nominated deserve those nominations, and there's none of them that I would bump off for <coughs> for either of those. So, yeah, it's uh, it's just it just is what it is, uh, you know. So, I uh, my position on this is that no, Greta Gerwig was great but not snubbed. Margot Robbie was great but not snubbed. Because to suggest they were snubbed is to suggest that one of the people who are on the list don't deserve to be there. And I'm sorry, but there ain't nobody on this list that doesn't deserve to be there. So to me, that starts and ends the debate for me. But listen, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a point of view on it. My point of view is not necessarily the right point of view. Or maybe parts of it are right and parts of it are wrong. Who knows? You might have your own point of view on that. So I'd love to hear what your point of view is. So yeah, all right. With that down, guys, and feel free to send in a topic or question if you want to talk more about that. But with that all down, let's get over and start taking the questions that you guys have sent in, shall we? We're going to start off here by continuing to get caught up on the tip questions that you guys sent in. And we're going to start things off here with Humble Viewer. And Humble Viewer writes, Hey, John and crew. No crew, just me. I wanted to thank you all for your uh, long lasting work and effort on the show. Truly from the bottom of my heart, as long as I've been a kid, never did my friends truly want to discuss films, but this community uh, that you built over the years has filled that hole for me. Uh, You, Ray, Chris, Robin, Jonathan's hard work and quality has truly been appreciated. Stay safe. And healthy everyone, and keep spreading love. Oh, thank you so much for that, humble viewer. I appreciate, that. I appreciate that so much. I really, really do. And you know, <clears throat> I am at the end of the day, um, just I'm, I'm a nobody, <laughs> uh, a nobody YouTuber. You know, who have got my little computer and little camera set up, broadcasting on YouTube. Yay. Um, that just gets to talk about the things I love. You know, it's true when we're talking about movie news, topics are going to come up with certain things that bug you or things you don't like. And you got to talk about that too. But I have a rule for myself. Every once in a while, I take inventory. I go to my YouTube front page and I go to my posted videos uh, page and I go through them. And I want to make sure always by at least a margin of three to one, the videos I post are about things I'm excited about or things that I love or things that I like. And I never want my videos to exceed that three to one uh, ratio of, like like I said, there's going to be things where it's like, ah, AMC did this and here's why I think it's stupid. Or, ah, Warner Brothers did this and here's why I think it's stupid. I want to make sure that the stuff that I love, the stuff I like talking about, the exciting stuff, the happy stuff. That's the stuff I want to make sure I talk about at least by a three to one ratio, if not more. And, um, I know I could get more clicks. I know I could get a lot more clicks if I did. Cause I get so many people write to me all the time. John, you need to do more rant videos. Well, I mean, I'll rant once in a while when something naturally comes up and hap- that, that deserves a rant right? You guys know I don't shy away from doing a rant now and again, but um, I know I could get tons more views if I just make more rant videos or if I make more, we need to talk about X videos or more why this person is stupid videos. I know I can get a lot more views if I do that. I know. Just like I know I can get a lot more views if I do uh, trailer reactions, no disrespect to people who are trailer reactors. Uh, There are some really great trailer. I'm just saying it's not me. That's all. It's just not for me. Um, I know I could get more views if I do this and I get told I can get more views if I do that, but I like getting on YouTube and just talking about the things that I'm excited about. I just like getting on here and talking about the things that I like. I like breaking down and analyzing things that are going on in the world of movie news. And, and I've always hoped that we would you know, attract a small, little community of people who are like-minded. That we just like to get together. We all have different opinions about movies, but we're like-minded in the sense that we like to talk about the things we love. Like everybody else, will complain now again when we need to, but we like to talk about the things that we love. And sometimes I succeed at that. Sometimes I fail at that. But I mean, that's always kind of what I'm. Uh, that's always kind of what I'm going for. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> what's that rave? I would love it. If you made videos of pointless rants, like if you ran about dumb details that nobody would get offended by, I want to talk about the color blue and why it sucks. I shouldn't say that's the color of my eyes. Uh, all right. Anyway, let's keep going here. Thank you. And thanks so much. Uh, humble viewer for sending that. in. I appreciate that. All right. Next up. Uh, you saw Insomniac leads uh, first glimpse of what Disney Marvel makes from licensing games. If the game sells more than 6 million per year, uh, quote unquote, they all do Disney gets 26% of digital sales, 18% of physical 50% of bundled games, all directly to their bottom line. Many games developed at the same time. WTF. I have no idea what we're talking about. I have no idea what we're talking about. I don't know what leak this is. I And also, here's the problem with numbers that you throw out. Without context, numbers don't mean much, right? And so I have no context here. Without context, numbers are meaningless. And so we can throw out all these numbers, I, but again, I don't even really know what the topic is that we're talking about. Um, so I, I don't really have commentary to give in that. Sorry about that, man. All right, <clears throat> next up, we've got Murray Reich who writes, I recently saw Ferrari. Yeah, that wasn't as good as I was hoping it would be. Um, I recently saw Ferrari and was disappointed. Slow pacing, the drama between his wife and the affair took up the majority of the whole film. Uh, The last 20 minutes saved the film, but unfortunately, overall, it was disappointing despite Adam Driver's great performance. I didn't mind at all the fact that the movie was more about his personal relationships. I had no problem with it. I didn't expect the movie to be about car racing, even though they put some of that in the trailer. I I think the trailers were pretty honest in communicating that this was really more of an emotional story, a human story, an interpersonal story. I thought the trailers were pretty clear about that, but yeah, I, it, it just, it lacked, it lacked a little bit of heart. Like for us, for an interpersonal story like that, to me, it lacked a little bit of heart and was kind of a forgettable movie at the end it, which is really too bad because you know what, Murray, it was a movie that I was really looking forward to. It was a movie I was quite excited about and, uh, didn't really click for me. Unfortunately, I, I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was bad. I just, it just didn't really quite work for me. All right, next up we go to Murray Reich again, who writes, I also saw The Iron Claw and thoroughly enjoyed it. So did I. I already have my top 10 best films of 2023, but it's uh, now in my top 11. Uh, devastating, but great story. Even as someone who doesn't watch wrestling, Zac Efron's great performance, ending scene, emotional, nine out of 10. I thought The Iron Claw was great. You know, we talked a little bit this morning on the John Camby show about the fact that there was no Iron Claw Oscar love, but that didn't really surprise any of us. Like even when I watched the movie, I didn't come out thinking that this was going to get a lot of Oscar attention, because uh, I you know I don't and I I don't know I can't really put my finger on it, but it's it's also not one of those situations where I felt like it totally should have gotten Oscar attention. I thought the movie was great, <coughs> but and I'm just being honest here, uh, and I thought Zac Efron was awesome. You know I love Zac Efron, the dude from The Bear, fantastic um everybody in that movie was just incredible but i never once thought this is going to be in my top 10 films of the year i thought this is a, a great movie of 2023 so yeah i wasn't really surprised when it didn't get much oscar love but it it's a truly devastating powerful film not a fun night out at the movies but a, a truly wonderful film i really really liked it and and not only was efron shredded he was at the top of his game. Like I've, I've always felt, you guys know this. I have always felt that Zac Efron is an underrated actor. And I thought he was like at the peak of his power in this particular movie. Uh, I just thought he was fantastic, but again, not, not really surprised. It didn't get a lot of Oscar attention. All right. Next up, uh, Disney gifts by Bryce writes, This may come off as ignorant, but I was curious. I saw a credit for Adobe After Effects uh, at the end of a movie the other day. Isn't that like saying this house was built with a husky hammer? I just thought it was odd to credit a tool. What say you? Well, I mean, it depends. It depends on the context and it depends on the movie. For example, let's say the movie studio had a 100 you know, um, post-production workers working on the movie and they need to use Adobe After Effects. And let's say they made an agreement with Adobe that Adobe would give them the licenses in exchange to give us credit in the movie. Simple. I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, that wouldn't be the first time either. There, there have been a lot of times that, you know, a company or whatever would, a supplier would supply something to the movie for credit in the movie. Um, there are people who get credits in movies for doing a favor for a producer or something like that. Uh, so not something I see all the time. Not that I'm aware. I'm not an expert on movie credits, but yeah, it it seems to me like it was probably something along the lines as simple as Adobe probably gave them all the licenses they needed for their post-production crew to work on the movie. And in exchange, they got uh, a credit in the film. I don't know that for sure. I'm just taking a wild guess, but that would be my best guess. All right, good question, Disney. Next up, <clears throat> uh, Save Legends of Tomorrow writes, with the Amanda Waller show still happening and Peacemaker season two coming soon, should James Gunn just make the Suicide Squad the official start of the DCU? No, absolutely not. After all, the film doesn't have any hard DCU references. Plus, it's a bloody awesome movie. True, I, I love the movie. James Gunn's Suicide Squad is fantastic. I absolutely love it. But there are probably a lot of things in that movie. There might even be characters in that movie that James Gunn may, number one, not want to exist. Uh, Number two, there are probably events that happen in the movie that James Gunn doesn't want to have existing in his brand new DCU. Like Starro was destroying a city in mid-Russia or wherever that was. Um, so there's a lot of potential consequences coming from saying, okay, that movie is canon. Yeah, that, that becomes a little bit tricky. So no, I, I don't listen. If James Gunn decided to do that, then I'd say he probably has his reasons. But if he were to call me, which he never has, um, if he were to call me and say, Hey, John, I'm thinking about making my suicide squad movie canon to the new DCU. Do you think I should do it? I would say no. I don't think he should. Uh, again, uh, there, there maybe there could be arguments too, to do it, but my uh, recommendation to him would that be he not. All right. Next up, uh, Duck Duck writes "Buenas tardes," and wow, poor things was a hell of a movie. It really—I was very very late to it, but woo. Also Bring on the Filthy ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, uh, it's not my favorite but definitely the most thought-provoking movie for me in 2023. Not everything clicks for me but man I can talk about this movie for a long ass time. Uh 100%. <clears throat> and like I said this movie kind of embodies the the terminology Bring on the Filthy. Uh but uh, I mean kind of a retwisted look at the Frankenstein mythos. Uh, obviously Emma Stone is fantastic. Willem Dafoe gets kind of overlooked in it, I think. Um, and yeah, I, I I just, the movie was great. It really, really is great. And I, here's the thing. I think Emma, it's a great movie. It's not in my top five like I think it deserved a Best Picture nomination, being in the top ten. But if the Best Picture nominations were still limited to five, I don't know if I would give it my put it in my top five. But I really enjoyed it. It's a it's a bonkers kind of movie. Mark Ruffalo, by the way, just incredible in it as well. All right, next up, we go to um, Gopala, who writes. Echo is just so rushed. Character introductions were bizarre, and they just sped through the show. They just sped through, showing us relationships in the family. I like the fights and music, but it needs to be longer. Anyway, nice to see Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio, though. Yeah, I... Listen, I'm not... I ain't gonna lie. I I think Echo is just the next in a growing line of Marvel disappointments. And I am a Marvel fan. You guys know I'm a Marvel fan. But... It... It it just, I'm not, I'm still not sure what was the point of the show, right? First of all, I think it was a mistake bringing in the supernatural into an Echo character, right? Like just all of a sudden out of nowhere, she has superpowers. And these other women who just happen to be in the room with her, they get superpowers too. And suddenly the ghosts of all their ancestors are fighting alongside of them. And all of a sudden, Kingpin who is just like, you know what, Maya? I love you so much. I'm willing to forgive the fact that you shot me in the face because apparently bullets to the face don't do anything to you anymore. I'm willing to forgive you. I just want you to come back. I want our family back. And just because she didn't show up to an airplane, he's like, I'm going to kill everybody in this town. I'm going to shoot off bazookas into a town fair. And I was like, when did, Kingpin become a like a, a like Kingpin. I said this before. Kingpin in the Netflix series had rage absolutely, but it was always focused rage, right? And it was always proportional rage. Somebody pissed him off. He killed that dude. He didn't kill that dude, and then everybody else in the restaurant in the McDonald's who just happened to be there when the dude was doing. it. He had rage, but it was focused. It was intentional. It was powerful and they just turned him into this sniveling baby. Anyway, there was a lot about, um, there was a lot about, uh, echo that I, I, just thought, and, and I've, I've said this before, but I think one of the biggest missed opportunities was in a lot of the marketing material, they talked about how like she goes back to her roots and they kind of promised that we would get to know her people and their culture and their way of life. And they just didn't. Other than their Genesis mythology, which they kept going back to again and again and again and again, going over all these individual ghosts, just so they could pop up at the end. They didn't talk about her people at all. They didn't talk about their culture. They didn't talk about their way of life. It was just a grandma and it was just a pawn shop owner and it was just a girl she knew. They never went into their heritage, their culture, their way of life. You know, when I was talking to Rob about it uh, on the show like a week or two ago, I mentioned I thought we were going to get something like Harrison Ford's Witness, right? Where it's like the people and the culture, that becomes a part of the story. And Echo just didn't do that. And I thought that was a missed opportunity. Anyway, um, it just is what I thought it was. And it's just a totally horrible, horribly done show. Just a horribly done show that dropped the ball on multiple occasions and in multiple ways. Um, yeah, it, and, then, uh, and then just suddenly she has superpowers. What? what? Like, I thought Echo was going to be one of these street-level, you know, kind of characters, badass, like a deaf girl who's also an amputee and she kicks copious amounts of ass like that, that has all types of promise, like so much promise. And they just completely dropped the ball on it. Completely dropped the ball on it. Very, very disappointed myself. But Hey, there are people out there who enjoyed it and I'm glad they did. I'm just telling you why I didn't. That's all. All right. Next up. Suthius writes, here's my non-spoiler review of Echo. Everyone else besides Cox, who also acted with sign language, was a far better actor or actress than Cox herself. Uh, she's great with action, but that's about it for me. I still don't care about her character five out of ten. I <coughs> Here's the funny thing, as much as I didn't like Echo, I really don't have any qualms with any of the performances in it. The um, the old guy, you know, Grandma's boyfriend who owns the pawn shop, he's a legendary Canadian actor. Um, I thought Cox herself was perfectly fine. I just didn't think she had much material to work with. Um, And also, while other characters spoke in sign language, they also spoke, right? They spoke. And we are more accustomed to interpreting performances when actors are speaking lines, whereas Cox was obviously... Limited to only sign language, which we're not accustomed to. So I personally didn't have any qualms with the performances. It, I, my qualms all came from the stories and the, um, the stories and the lack of execution. But that—that's just me. Anyway, thanks for sharing that, Suthius Appreciate it, man. Next up, Murray Reich writes: Echo overall, meh. Episode one was literally an apology letter to the Kingpin finale in Hawkeye, but then they went on to job him again. This show's finale, um, like other Disney plus shows felt rushed and anticlimactic. I'll, <coughs> I don't know that I agree that the overall show felt rushed, but the finale absolutely felt rushed. Right. Again, I don't necessarily I I, I never felt with all the, the laundry list of problems I had with Echo through the first five episodes, Rushed wasn't one of them until you got to that last episode. And then it was like, okay, um, okay, so now Maya didn't show up to the plane. Are we gonna go through some like complex, like as Kingpin processes this, as he starts to determine what does this mean for my plans that I had for her and my organization about what I'm going to do. No, they just, they just, just jumped to let's kill everybody at the party. Let's have all the ghosts show up. And now she has superpowers and then I'm going to run for mayor. And it was just like, and it was like, like, like nothing. It felt like nothing in it was earned. And you're right. Again, they didn't do anything. You know what, you know what it is? It's a lot like Kang. Because one of my complaints about Kang um, and the way they they used or misused Kang was through Loki Season 1, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and Loki Season 2, they had three occasions to communicate to us that Kang is a problem, that Kang is a remarkable threat, and they just never did it. In Loki season one, they talk about a menacing Kang, but the Kang that we got instantly killed by Loki. I I understand there was a deeper plan, all that. Yes, I know. But still, it didn't do anything to deepen that idea of the threat. We get into Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, Scott Lang punches him out and beats him. We get into Loki season two. Again, no sense of, of threat, no sense of we should be wary of this guy. Okay, so now let's jump over to Echo and Kingpin. Well, let's start even with Hawkeye with Kingpin. Hawaiian shirt, I'm the founder of the tracksuit mafia Kingpin. That wasn't the same as the Netflix Kingpin at the time. They've recently changed their minds and said he is now. So this Kingpin is not really a problem in Hawkeye. And then you think coming into Echo now is when they're going to set him up as a real problem. And other than beating up some hot dog vendor in an alley in New York? What on earth did Kingpin do in this to make us feel woo? You know what? The Kingpin in in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse had a thousand times more of a threat feel to him in five minutes of being on screen in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse than this Kingpin did in all of Hawkeye and in all of Echo. Now, hopefully they can change that perception now that they're shooting Daredevil Born Again Uh, And they're back in production of that. Hopefully they can do that. But like right now, to me, Kingpin is not a big issue. Kingpin is somebody just send our lowest of the low level Marvel heroes after him and they'll take care of Kingpin. He's really not a problem. He's not a threat. He hasn't done anything to convince me he's a major problem in the MCU, let alone. I don't even think he'd be a major problem in a McDonald's heist. I really don't at this point, but anyway, that's just me. Okay. Next up, Um, Anonymous, just tips in $5 to be be generous. Thank you, Anonymous. Uh, Next up, Echo Sucks writes, after hearing you talk about it for years, I finally watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I can't believe such a ridiculous premise gave us such a delightful show. The characters, the story, the setting, so enjoyable. And now my favorite comedy series. Not every episode was great. Not every season was satisfying. But the flaw—but they flawlessly stuck the landing on this finale. The show has so much heart, and it's such a shame that it didn't get more attention from audiences. I wish I had watched it before it ended. Two out of two. Guys, listen. If you have not seen... see if I can bring it up. The marvelous, marvelous... Uh, Mrs. Maisel. If you guys have not seen The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on... Um, uh, what's it on? It's on uh, Amazon. You absolutely... You owe it to yourself to watch this. I remember I was on a trip to Canada. <clears throat> Anne and I were on a trip to Canada. And we were turning in for the night. I was off doing something. and was already in bed watching something on her laptop. And I came into the bedroom, she's like, have you seen this marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I'm like, no, but I've heard from people that it's pretty good. She goes, I'm almost done the first episode. Can we start this episode from the beginning and you watch it with me? I'm like, sure. And I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. It's a marvelous, smart, funny, insightful, um... Kind of edgy. I love the show. And of course, this is our new Lois Lane. It's what gave the The reason she got Lois Lane is because of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But there's our new Lois Lane for the new DCU. And again, the movie is just wonderful. Uh, sorry, the show is wonderful. And I agree. I completely agree uh, with with Echo Sucks, who says like not every episode knocked it out of the park. Not every season was the best. But overall, it's fantastic. They nailed the ending, the, the ending. If you haven't watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and you're looking for something to binge, watch it. I, I think you'll really enjoy it. It's a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous show. There's a reason it won so many Emmys. And she won uh, a couple Emmys too, if I'm not mistaken. All right. B-Way New York writes, now that casting is started for the DCU, new Supergirl, I think 22-year-old 1883 series Uh, lead actress, Isabel May, would be perfect. She's a good actress, familiar with action, and she's definitely got the Kara look. I hope Gunn looks at her for the role. I mean, I like her. I do. I like her. Um, They had cast her to be one of the Wonder Twins in the Wonder Twins movie with the lead guy from Riverdale, and thankfully, mercifully, the wise acts of Zaslav came in and killed that project. Thank God. She's good. Um, I, I would, I would have no problem, but it's, it's hard to say she would be great for the role because you haven't read the role. Right. And I haven't read the role. Um, Haven't read the role. So I don't know which actress would be perfect for it. <clears throat> I don't know which actress would be perfect for it. Uh, I really don't. And so she might be good for it, but she might be the totally wrong casting for it. Look, if James Gunn, who's the one who knows the role, decides she's the right person, great. And I would be all for it, but it's hard to say she's perfect for it. By the way, this is something that always kills me when somebody says this. So-and-so is wrong about this. Change my mind. Right, I'm gonna educate you on something here. It ain't my job to change your mind. If you're wrong about something, it ain't anybody else. You're a grown-ass man. It ain't nobody else's responsibility to set you straight. It is your responsibility to set you straight. And if you're right, why do you need external validation? Why do you need somebody else to come along and tell you you're right? John Campbell is wrong about that. Kim can change my mind. I don't care if you think I'm right or wrong, quite frankly. I, I've never cared if anybody thinks I'm right or wrong. I'm here to have discussions. And if you disagree with me, great. You say, oh, you know what? I actually liked it because of this, this, and this. And I'll go, awesome. I celebrate that you like it. That's great. I did not. And here's why I didn't. But it doesn't mean I don't want you to. But yeah, these people who write stuff like this. No, 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 no change my mind. Because that tells me either you think it's other people's responsibility to set you straight. Or that, too, you think you're right, and and you might be right. You think you're right, and you need other people to validate you. Dude, you're a grown-ass man. You don't need validation from other people. Your opinion is your opinion. You don't need other people to validate it for your opinion to have worth and value. So if you like Echo, you you don't need other people to agree with you to validate that you like Echo. You like Echo because you like Echo, and that's great. Celebrate that but for you to think well i'll leave it at that <laughs> i'll leave it at that but that that sort of response from people i always find hilarious blah 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 change my mind what you need a babysitter to come in here and hold your hand take you to the potty and help you go poo poo you need somebody else to come in and set you straight or you need somebody come in here and validate something that you think you grown ass man grown ass man you don't need validation because your opinion is perfectly valid the way it is, and it ain't nobody else's responsibility to set you straight. All right. Anyway, next up, uh, we go to Garden Variety Vagabond rights. Wow. After episode one of Echo, I had such high hopes. I'm guessing these were sent in right around when Echo dropped. I had such high hopes. Even episode two developed some decent characters. I, By the way, for the record, I liked episode one. Uh, had decent characters. Episode three felt slow and four was 30 minutes of singing. Uh, by episode five, I'd hoped for real action. I think the goal was to transition Fisk to where we believed he'd run for office. Just a waste. Um, see, and, and that's one of my problems with what Echo was to this day. I look back on the series and I'm like, what was ultimately the point of Echo? Like you look back at WandaVision and there's this incredible personal journey that goes through and it sets up Wanda at the end to break bad, right? It's, it's, it's great. You saw what it was there for. You knew the purpose of the show. I am still right now not sure what was the point of that show, Echo. Other than to say, to have a post-credit scene where Kingpin goes, I think I'll run for mayor. Okay, you could have done that in a five-minute YouTube clip. You didn't need an entire show for that. But anyway, uh, uh, like I said, that's just me. That's just how I saw it. All right, next up. Ethan Holgate wrote. Hey, John and crew. I just got out of seeing Jason Statham's new action flick, The Beekeeper. My God, it was awesome. What a surprise. I haven't seen an action movie this good in a while. This movie might be the closest thing to Jason Statham to ever playing Batman, LOL. I'll tell you what, man. I will go to any Jason Statham movie and I haven't seen Beekeeper yet. (coughs) Part of the reason has been, you know, I've been kind of sick. And then when I have gotten out, I, I chose to see ISS instead and whatever. But... I do not go to a Jason Statham film expecting Shakespeare. I don't even go to a Jason Statham movie necessarily expecting a good film. I go to a Jason Statham movie to hear Jason crack wise and then kick people's asses. And if you do that, good movie or bad, I'll probably walk out having had a good time. That might be the reason I didn't really like The Meg 2 because... I didn't get Jason Statham doing his Jason Statham. I didn't get him kicking a lot of ass, you know, other than kicking a shark in the face. But yeah, I don't know. Somebody was saying in the live chat that they they could see Jason Statham playing Batman. I don't think I could. I don't think in that classic Michael Keaton line, I don't think I could hear Jason Statham going, I ain't going to kill you. I want you to tell your friends about me. I'm Batman. I I just, I don't, I don't see it. By the way, it's a terrible Jason Statham impersonation. Still, I, I don't think I can see it, but yeah, I will always listen. Somebody else saying Jason Statham movies are all the same. Yep. And I'm, that's how I want them. I want them to stay the same. I want him to be wronged to go out and seek vengeance and then kick lots of ass. That and and if they're all the same, that's exactly what I want. When I order a bowl of cookies and cream ice cream, I don't want a new take on cookies and cream. I want my cookies and cream ice cream. Not always, but if I'm getting cookies and cream, I know exactly what I want and exactly what I'm going for. All right. Next up, uh, we go to uh, where are we at? Dwarfer, who writes? Paul Gia- I think you mean Giamatti Paul Giamatti was in paycheck also that's true also <clears throat> so don't forget to watch it by the way Paul Giamatti just a quick show of hands just just quick yes or no in the live chat okay you ready just a quick yes or no in the live chat did any of you guys see my documentary and it's okay if you didn't <laughs> did any of you guys see my documentary uh, movie trailers a love story <clears throat> Let me know if you've seen, have you guys seen that? When I take a sip there. So uh, Elvis C. is saying no. Uh, Richard's saying yes, they saw Michael Gonzalez. Okay, so a few, a few of you saw it. Okay. So those of you who saw the documentary, there's a director in my documentary, Michael, who directed a movie called Shoot 'Em Up, right? With Clive Owen, with Clive Owen. And... I th- I think Shoot 'Em Up is a wonderful Jason Statham kind of movie. Jason Statham not isn't in it. It's Clive Owen, is uh, is in it. I really enjoy it. It's a it's a fun fun little film. Again, not winning any Oscars, but it's a fun 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 little film. The title gives tells you everything you need to know. Shoot 'Em Up. That's the name of the, the movie. And Paul Giamatti is the bad guy in that movie. Uh, it's it's just so funny. Paul Giamatti, an Academy Award winning actor, probably might end up being a two time Academy Award winning actor. Has done a lot of bad films, too. But if you have not seen him in Shoot'em Up, uh, again, the director is in my little movie. Uh, I would highly recommend you check it out. All right, <clears throat> next up. We go to uh, Queese Williams, who writes, Hey, John and crew. Of course, it's just a rumor, but what do y'all think about Eben Moss Backrack being the thing now that his character from Punisher is canon to the MCU? Or would that just be omitted as some aspects won't be canon? Yeah, so... <clears throat> There have been rumors going around that now Emmy award-winning actor, Evan Moss Backrack from The Bear, is going to be Ben Grimm. He was actually asked about it the other day, and he said, I cannot confirm that I am in it. I cannot confirm that I'm not in it. That's all he said. So whether or not he's going to be in it, we'll see. But once the word got out, uh, once Disney announced, kind of let it be known that They changed their minds and now the Netflix Daredevil is the Daredevil that's going to be in the MCU because it never was going to be. But now that it is, a lot of people thought, well, Evan can't be it because he was already in Punisher. Yes, but again, the Netflix universe is only sort of canon, like Daredevil's canon to the Netflix universe. Uh, Kingpin sort of is canon to the Netflix universe, but they're not going to bring over everything. They're going to pick and choose some things, kind of like Grand Admiral Thrawn in Star Wars. They're going to pick certain things to bring over, and there's going to be certain things that they don't bring over. And if they want to use uh, Ebenezer as, as Ben Grimm, it's really not a problem. It's really not a problem that, oh, but he was another character in Punisher. They'll just say that character didn't exist. But it's canon. Well, not really. It's sort of canon. It's sort of canon. So I would be perfectly good if he ended up being our Ben Grimm. Because, again, Emmy-winning actor. He's absolutely incredible. I love him. So we'll see how that goes. All right, guys, listen. We still have more questions to get to. And we're going to get through them. But we're going to take just a quick moment here. I'm going to go refill my drink and everything. Rest my voice for just a moment. We're going to thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode of Open Mic. Our friends at Manscaped and Factor. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Manscaped. Roses are red, violets are blue, trim your balls, and your date will thank us too. What's up, guys? Valentine's Day is knocking, and Manscaped is the remedy for what the love doctor ordered. His prescription? The all-new performance package 5.0 Ultra, designed to elevate your grooming game and shine like the beast you are. Join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com to get 20% off plus free shipping, with the code Campia. Guys, listen, like a lot of you, I used to shave my package like the Neanderthals did using, you know, the clippers on your electric razor, but that's not what you need for excellence on Valentine's Day. So let's talk about the hero of Valentine's Day, the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. This electric trimmer features skin-safe technology guarding your Valentine's Day treasure against any grooming mishaps. This package also features the Weed Whacker 2.0 nose and hair trimmer, manscaped liquid formulations, and two free goodies. The Shed Travel Bag and Boxers 2.0 because comfort is king for all my guys. So elevate your grooming game routine and set the stage for a romantically smooth celebration. So guys, get 20% off and free shipping with the code CAMPIA at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code CAMPIA because your grooming upgrade awaits ready to charm your Valentine's dates. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Factor. Get started on your resolutions with Factor so you're ready for the new year. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in the new year. Skip the grocery store and prep work because you know what? Sometimes we just don't feel like prepping our own meals. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 meals to choose from per week, including options like keto, calorie-smart, vegan, and more, plus over 55 weekly add-ons, you'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options to kickstart your resolutions. Forget frantic lunch preps and rushed dinners. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon in the new year. Fuel up fast with restaurant quality meals all delivered right to your door. And Factor now offers loads of snack options like breakfast, smoothies, juices, snacks, and more to keep me going no matter what's on the schedule. It's time to skip the overpriced takeout trap. Factor is cheaper and way more delicious than takeout. And Factor is flexible. Change your order up every week with plans from four to 18 meals per week or pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. So guys, head to factormeals.com campia50 and use the code campia50 to get 50% off. That's code campia50 at factormeals.com campia50 to get 50% off. And thank you to our friends at Manscaped and of course, Factor for sponsoring today's episode. All right, guys, let's get back over to your questions here, shall we? We're going to pick things up here with Dwarf, who writes, Hey, John, I got an idea for the theme song for the Highlander movie. How about using the best rock band from your neck of the woods? Nickelback, LOL. Never made it as a wise man. Yeah, I don't think they'll go with that one. Uh, Eddie Burton writes, who do you think made a bigger contribution to the MCU, Joss Whedon or the Russo brothers? Controversy aside, Whedon did direct the first Avengers, which was a game changer, but the Russos directed the best of the MCU movies, in my opinion. Curious on in your, in your opinion. You know, this topic has come up a couple of times. And um, listen, I love Joe and Anthony Russo. Love them. Um, they have, I, I've met a lot of directors and stuff like that. Very few directors have been generous enough to come into my studios on multiple occasions and participate in things with us on multiple occasions. Joe and Anthony Russo have come into our studios like no less than three different times over my career. Um, And they've always been wonderful and I love them. And obviously they gave us uh, Winter Soldier. They gave us Civil War. They gave us um, Infinity War and they gave us Endgame. Four arguably top 15 greatest comic book movies of all time, right? That being said, Joss Whedon had the bigger contribution. And the reason I will say that he had the bigger contribution is that when you take that first Avengers movie, that first Avengers movie established what the MCU was. Right? We like, had the Thor, we had Iron Man, we had a Hulk movie and a Captain America movie, but there were kind of four different movies, and the MCU was still kind of formulating its identity. What was truly the MCU? What is the DNA of an MCU film? That first Avengers film, which to me is still my all-time favorite comic book movie, that first Avengers film established what the MCU was. Right? And it kind of laid out the blueprint for what all MCU movies would be afterwards. And the reason I would say, and, and listen, I'm being very specific about your terminology. Who made the bigger contribution to the MCU, right? The reason I go with Joss Whedon is because everything that the Russos did in the MCU was built on the shoulders of what Joss Whedon established, not just with the first Avengers movie, but also with Avengers Age of Ultron. A movie that, by the way, I, I think both Rob and I agree, and, and Schnepp did too, as a matter of fact. Like we all felt that, you know, as more time goes by, we appreciate that movie more and more. I, I'm not saying it's a top five comic book film of all time, don't get me wrong. But it like everything that the Russos did in their universe was all built on stuff that was that came before it. Like, there is no civil war unless, you know, we already got a clear understanding of what the dynamic in the MCU was, the relationship between Tony and uh, Cap, and all that kind of stuff. Everything that came in the Russo Brothers movies were continuations of what was established and started in previous movies. Who made the better movies overall? I think if you take Joss Whedon's two films, Avengers and Age of Ultron compared to Winter Soldier, uh, Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame, I think overall, the Russo brothers had the better package of movies. I still think the first Avengers is the best comic book movie ever made, but those two, compared to those four, I think as an overall package of work, I think the Russo brothers delivered the better overall package of work. But who made the more important and the bigger contribution to the MCU all the Russo Brothers stuff came as a result of the Joss Whedon blueprint. Uh, so I'm not going to argue with anybody about that. But <clears throat> since you asked me the question, I will say, um, yeah, now somebody might say, but here's the problem. these Webble saying Whedon built on what Favreau built before. Not really, because while that character was there, when you look at the first Avenger, the first Iron Man movie, the first Thor movie, They were pretty much four unique films. It was Whedon who then took everything that was in there and created what the MCU was. Yeah, you had your standalone Iron Man movie. You had your standalone Thor movie. But the MCU at that point didn't have an identity. And it was Joss Whedon who kind of created the identity and made the blueprint that all of the MCU followed afterwards. Sometimes to a fault. Sometimes to a fault. But anyway, that that's, again, a lot of different opinions on that. That's just my opinion, and I only give it because you asked me. So there you go. All right. Next up, we got John Young who writes, Hey, John and crew, longtime viewer, but this is the first question I've ever asked. Thanks for sending in a question, John Young. Anyway, I remember John once saying the biggest factor in shows in streaming services getting renewed is how many subscribers it brings in, not viewership. Am I crazy? Thanks. No, that's the 100% what I said. That is why, like how many times over the years have we talked about Netflix canceled that show after two seasons? It was awesome. Netflix canceled that show after just three seasons, but the show was great and everybody was watching it. Why would they cancel it? The reason they cancel it is because it doesn't make them any money. And there are very, very few exceptions Stranger Things, definitely one of the exceptions. Take, for example, my beloved film or my beloved film. Uh, Take, for example, my beloved show, um, Lucifer. Okay. Take Lucifer, for example. Lucifer was a show that was on Fox, right? And it got canceled on Fox, So Netflix looked at it and they're like, we're going to save this show. The reason they wanted to save the show is because Lucifer had already built a bit of a following. It already had people who were passionate about the show. And Netflix surmised correctly that if we save this show and bring it over to Netflix and give it a season four, it will generate new viewers, it will generate new subscribers. That is what it's all about. New subscribers. Because once they have a show going and it's in it, remember the longer a show goes, the more expensive it gets to make it right. So these streamers like Netflix and others are like, once a show has already done what it needs to do for them, it's not bringing in any more. Like a, a lot of shows aren't bringing in new subscribers with season three, four or five. It's just that your existing subscribers are watching it and that's not making you any more money. So yes, the number one thing that these streaming services are looking for is what things can potentially get us new subscribers. They certainly look at some content, cheap content that maintains their subscribers. Yeah, let's crank out a couple of of shows like this and crank out a couple of little movies nobody will talk about for this. Sure, and they keep the budgets on those relatively low and because it keeps new content going to their existing subscribers and keeps us happy and all that kind of stuff. But what they're really looking for is a content that will generate new subscribers. That is why you guys remember earlier today we talked about this. And I can't find it anywhere now, unfortunately. Uh, but let's see if I can bring this up. I oop. <laughs> Maybe because I misspelt it. That is why uh, earlier today we talked about this. That Netflix and why it's such a great move that Netflix just bought the rights to Monday Night Raw from WWE. In a $500 million a year, 10 year deal. Because Netflix knows. Why would Netflix do this? Does Netflix really want to get into the wrestling business? That's not it. Netflix is in the get new subscriber business. And they know there are a bunch of wrestling fans out there. Some are Netflix subscribers and some are not. And guess what? Those wrestling fans who watch Monday Night Raw who aren't Netflix subscribers, come January of 2025, they're going to be new Netflix subscribers. Because that's the most valuable thing in the world to them, is a new subscriber. So there's absolutely a place to them for content to maintain subscribers, but you can't spend too much money on that. What they really spend their money on is the stuff that acquires new subscribers. So that's the main thing. All right, let's see here. Murray Reich writes, fun fact, the Jets have more playoff wins since 2000 than the Cowboys, and the Jets haven't made the playoffs in over a decade. Yeah, here's the thing. Look, I I give... I give a hard time to my friends who are Dallas Cowboy fans. Like the day after Dallas get got booted out of the playoffs, I started the show with how about them Cowboys? Right. But my, my friends know it's in fun, right? I love that. They're sports fans. I love that. I don't like the Cowboys, but I love that my friends do. We're all sports fans, all that kind of stuff. And here's, I don't know. I don't know if I talked about this on open mic yesterday or not. I don't know if I talked about this or not, but Here's the thing. This is where sports fans, no offense to anybody, but this is where sports fans are a little more advanced in their fandom than movie fans are or video game fans are. Right? Because I do that joke. How about them Cowboys? Right? You know what I didn't get? I didn't get a single email from a Dallas Cowboys fan who went, how dare you insult us like that? No, why? Because sports fans know we rib each other. We 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 have fun with each other. We rib each other about your favorite team versus my favorite team. It's all in fun and it's all it's all good-natured and it's all in fun, right? I didn't get a single message from a single Dallas Cowboy fan saying I was offended that you were making fun of my Dallas Cowboys for not going further in the playoffs. I didn't get a single message from a single Dallas Cowboy fan about that. Why? Because sports fans know it's all fun, right? That's not always the case with movie fans or in this particular case, video game fans. Because some of you might remember the other day, we were talking about the uh, new Indiana Jones game, which looks great, by the way. I think this game looks wonderful. I don't care that it's first person. I think the game looks great. And we were talking about the fact, and I mentioned it, so I was like, I'm kind of bummed out because it's going to be an Xbox exclusive and I own a PlayStation, right? So, but any of you who watch my show, you know, I hardly touch my PlayStation, right? I'm not a console guy. The games I play like, Um, even like Baldur's Gate 3 and whatever, I play on computer, right? I'm not a console guy. I don't care. I chose a PlayStation because I wanted to play Last of Us and I wanted to play God of War. That's why I chose a PlayStation. No other reason. I have no loyalty to PlayStation. I have no ill feelings about Xbox, right? But anyway, we were talking about this on the show. And I mentioned, oh, I'm gonna kind of bummed out. It's on Xbox. I won't be able to play it on my PlayStation. Whatever, right? So then Ray, who is an Xbox owner and loves his Xbox, Ray goes, well, maybe it's time for you to get a, maybe it's time for you to get an Xbox. And, you know, a lot of times us Xbox owners, we don't get to play some of those PlayStation 5 exclusive games. And I made a joke. I go, well, just because you choose to be a second-class citizen ain't my problem, right? It was a joke, Oh my god. The number of mothers' basement dwelling virgins who got their little panties all twisted up just completely crushing their nut sacks which were already pretty small to start with got so triggered Got so triggered. Clearly a joke. I don't care about Xbox versus PlayStation. I couldn't give two shits about um, about any of that. And R- Ray is my brother-in-law, right? And I fired joking him just because you choose to be second-class citizen, right? If this was sports fans, they would get it. Yeah, how about them cowboys? Ah, uh, right. We get it. But oh my god, these fucking like virgins yet infested with stds not quite sure how that works like mindless losers who just like how how dare you make fun of xbox i'm not a second class citizen maybe you're a second class citizen did you think about that it's like oh my god dude you need to develop some social awareness i was i didn't even make it not look like i was joking i was we were laughing i was clearly joking i don't care about xboxers but who, and I guess, and and I see somebody in the live side saying, John, what do you expect? It's the internet. Yeah. But maybe it's just because I come from a background of being a sports fan. And I know as sports fans, we get it, right? But who my God, some of these video game fans, like who are slaves to their corporate brand, I am a PlayStation guy. I and you know what the funny thing is, we had a spike in subscribers. I, this is the strangest thing to me. We had this spike in subscribers and I'm like, where, where did this, not a major, major, but we had a a bigger than normal spike in subscribers that day. And I realized it's like, oh, it's the PlayStation five fanboys who think I'm like one of them. it's like, hate to break it to you. Like I own a PlayStation five. I I like my PlayStation five, but I am not, I am not a servant to the PlayStation five gods. Okay. I just, just to be clear, I was joking with my brother-in-law about Xbox. Don't, don't think I'm some, you know, Knights Templar of the PlayStation five banner. I'm not. Anyway, (laughs) it is what it is. Anyway, Mm. Okay. Anyway, with that all down, uh, let's keep going here. And yeah, Poor Cowboys. I mean, don't get me wrong. I cheer against Cowboys. I don't like the Cowboys. But I feel very bad for, I got a number of friends who are diehard Cowboy fans. And man, I feel your pain because I'm a freaking Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And my team has sucked the entire time I've been alive. So I feel your pain, my friends. I feel your pain. All right. Next up. Twilight Boy writes in and says, a couple of months ago, you said the Saw series is as nobody cares about. It's true. Uh, I would argue that the series is in a rehabilitation phase. Saw X didn't do amazing, but had great legs, a certified fresh uh, tomato score of 80%, and a terrific audience score of 92%. Yeah, because the only people who went to it were Saw fans, right? Here's the thing. Let me bring this up. Uh, Saw X, maybe if I typed it right. Okay. Here's the thing about it, though. When I say something along the lines of, like, nobody cares about it, I'm not saying that the people who watch it didn't like it. I, for the record, I heard good, th- I didn't bother with going to see Saw X, but I heard pretty decent things about it. To be fair, I heard pretty decent things about it. I heard it was one of the better ones they've had in a number of years. Great. But when I say that, like, nobody cares about it, what I mean is Numbers. And I'll see if I can get this a little bit bigger for you. But we had the same discussion the other day about the uh, Scream franchise. Here's the reality, okay? This number right here, $111 million. That's the reality. That is the number that tells you that even though the movie I heard is pretty good. I heard it's pretty good. Nobody went to go see it. Nobody went to go see it. Like we talk about how badly um, the Marvels bombed, that nobody went to go see the Marvels. And and it's it's fair to say that. That movie got at least somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 million, like less than 300, but somewhere in the neighborhood of $300 million, right? Costs a lot more money to make, but that's irrelevant. How many people were interested and wanted to go out to see it? And I had a number of Scream fans got mad at me when I, when I brought up the fact that, look, Scream is a franchise that most people don't care about. And I, I'm sorry, but it's the it's a fact. It's the numbers. They don't get a lot of people going to the box, going to the movie theaters to watch them. Now, you can say, oh, but the, the money it makes compared to how inexpensive they are to make. No, no, that means it's a business success. The screen, by the way, I've liked the last number of screen films. But the Scream is a business success, but it doesn't change the fact that as a film franchise, not a lot of people care about it. Because when you look at the box office numbers, it shows that not many people go to see them. And so when I was saying that about Saw X, I wasn't saying that Saw X is bad or nobody liked Saw X. That's not what I was trying to suggest at all. Not remotely, I wasn't trying to suggest that. What I was pointing out was, again, just the number. That the reality is not many people went to go see it. Not many people care about the franchise. Because if, if a lot of people, I think we would agree, if a lot of people cared about the franchise, especially with Saw X being a decent film, from what I hear, then that number would be much bigger. Not 700 million or anything like that, but it would be bigger than 100 million, right? So I wasn't talking about the quality of the film, I was simply referring to the actual number of people who care enough about it to go out to the movie theaters to watch it. You know what had a lot of people? A movie I didn't even like that. A movie I didn't like that uh, much. Uh, Five Nights. Five Nights at Freddy's made well more than double, like well more than double the amount of people went out to go see Five Nights at Freddy's. Like $60 million worth of more people went out to go see that. I mean, I, so I would make the argument that more people care about Five Nights at Freddy's than care about Scream. And again, I don't mean that as a knock-on Scream. I heard fast Saw X was, or, or sorry, um, well, both Scream and Saw, but I, again, I heard Saw X was quite good. It's just that being good didn't translate to getting people to go out to see it. And and that that's all I was talking about. That's all I was talking about. All right, <coughs> let's keep things going here. Uh, next up. Thanks for the question, Twilight boy. I appreciate that. We've got Colin D who writes the box office for the new color purple needs to be studied opening number one on uh December 25th with 18 million. No, it didn't open to 18 million. I think it opened to like 10 or 11 million. Anyway, opening number one with 18 million, then dropping hard with 60%. Uh, no, uh, no. Okay let me finish reading your question. Then let me correct you. Uh, week after week, what happened and any shady business going on with that first day? Okay. Now let me go check, but I'm fairly positive. Um, the color purple did not make 18 million opening weekend. I'm pretty sure it was much, much less than that. Okay. So here we go. Color purple. There it is. It made 11 million on its opening weekend. Made a grand total of about sixty million worldwide. Okay, so not many people wanted to go out to see it, but yeah, it made about eleven million. Now, you mentioned it dropped hard with sixty percent in the second weekend. Just so you know, I know it sounds like a big number, but a standard average drop for a movie from weekend one to weekend two that you would feel safe with is anywhere between 50% and 60% drop. That's that window is considered kind of normal when you drop less than 50%, which isn't often it happens, but it's not often when your movie drops less than 50% from weekend one to weekend two, that's considered pretty impressive. When your movie drops more than 60%, <clears throat> that's when people start to get concerned, especially when it gets to like 65, 67, 70% drop. I think Ant-Man, correct me if I'm wrong in the live chat, guys, but I think um, I think you should uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania drops like 70% from Weekend 1 to Weekend 2. I, I might be wrong about that, but I think that it did. Anyway. Um, so no, it opened to 11. It it just never caught on and it ended up making about $60 million. I, I don't think there's, I don't, I don't think there's anything to look sus about that at all. It just, it's a movie that didn't catch on. I, I think it's just that simple. It had a very, very, very modest opening weekend and then just simply, uh, didn't catch on from there. All right. <clears throat> Next up, Paul Smith writes, Hey, John and crew, the long-awaited Super Bowl is right around the corner. What do you think are the for sure or possible trailers we could expect to see? Final, Madam Web, uh, Dune, Kung Fu Panda, uh, Godzilla and Kong, first glimpse of Deadpool. I'm not really sure, to be honest. Now, I had, who was it that somebody, let me just look at my text messages here for a second. Somebody sent me a message the other day saying they can confirm a certain trailer was going to be playing at, and now I can't find it. Yeah, somebody wrote to me confirming a certain trailer was going to drop at the, uh, sorry guys, I'm going through my, I can't find it now. Anyway, the one that I feel very, very, very certain about, as far as a fan can feel certain, um, is I feel pretty certain, almost 100% certain That at least one of them will be um, Deadpool 3. Deadpool 3. Now, somebody in live chat is saying Joker 2. I don't think they'll do a Joker 2 trailer at the the Super Bowl. And the reason I don't think they will is because that would just be wasting their money. Super Bowl's in February. Joker 2 opens on October. So February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September. That movie is almost a full baby term away. Like that movie is almost one full baby away. It's 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 like four months or eight months after. So they would be dropping a ridiculous amount of millions of dollars on a Super Bowl spot that is still for a movie that's not coming out for eight months. And any effect that that trailer would have at the Super Bowl is going to eventually evaporate. So again, I'm not saying I know they're not playing a Joker 2 trailer. It's possible I'm just saying I, I would be very, very, very surprised if they did. I think Dune 2 is definitely a possibility. Uh, Dune 2 for sure. I don't know that Sony would want to spend the money, Super Bowl money, on a Madam Web trailer. So I, I don't know. It's possible though. Um, so there's a bunch of, but the the one I would say I would take to the bank <clears throat> would be Deadpool. That's the one I would personally take to the bank. So we'll see. All right, guys, listen, there are still more, some more tip questions. We're almost all caught up from the last number of weeks, but we're going to save some of them until tomorrow. We're going to do another open mic tomorrow. We're going to move over now and start taking the super chats, the the questions you guys who are watching live have been sending in. But before we do that, we are going to take one more quick break and thank another sponsor of today's episode. Speaking of Deadpool, our friend Ryan Reynolds. And his company, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to think of a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds aren't looking that great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. I've told you guys many times that after switching to Mint Mobile, I am spending less than a third on my sell bill than I used to with a major carrier. Say goodbye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. All Mint plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And don't worry about having to change phones or numbers. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So guys, to get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to K. Campia. that's mintmobile.com campia cut your wireless bills to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com campia additional taxes fees and restrictions apply see mint mobile for details and thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile for being my mobile service provider and they should be yours and for sponsoring this episode all right guys let's get over now to the live questions that you guys have been sending in where are the live questions there they are we're gonna start off here with Christopher Brickner who writes, Fincher's cinematographer on films Gone Girl, The Social Network, Fight Club, Dragon Tattoo, uh, uh, John uh, Senonisweth, I hope I pronounced that right, is Tron three cinematographer. Uh, at least uh, we know that will look good. I don't know how good the rest will be. I mean, yeah, for, so for those of you who didn't hear about this yet, Tron 3, a movie that I never expected uh, would actually get made. Even when they were talking about it. this, is one of those films like I got my doubts are even going to make this. Even when they announced that Jared Leto was going to be in it and all this kind of stuff, I'm so, still like I, I got my doubts that this is actually going to happen. It's now shooting. They are as we speak. Tron Three is filming, and I think they said Gillian Anderson from X Files is going to be in it, and listen, I'm I'm not going to lie to you. I was very excited for Tron. What was the name of the last Tron movie? It wasn't Tron Legacy. I think that was the animated show. What was the name? It was Tron something or other. Guys in the live chat, help me out this because Tron Legacy was the TV show, the animated show, which actually wasn't bad by the way. But at any rate, um, the last Tron movie, while it had a terrific Daft Punk soundtrack, I didn't think it was a very good movie, to be honest with you. Even though it had the great Jeff Bridges in it and all that kind of stuff, I didn't think the movie was very good. So I have not been expense... um, Oh, they're saying Legacy is the film? Well, what was the name of the animated show? There was an animated show that came after it. I thought that was called Legacy. Anyway, the movie is called Tron Legacy. And so thank you guys in the live chat. Um, Oh, Uprising is what the... uh, Oh, thank you, uh, Marcus Y and uh, Rena for pointing that out. The the show is called Uprising. That's right. Okay. So anyway, I didn't think that movie was very good. I didn't think Legacy was very good. And and it disappointed at the box office. And I'm really surprised they're making another one. But they're bringing on some good people. So, you know, hope springs eternal. Hopefully it'll be good. All right. Next up, uh, Bobby Jackson writes in a two-parter and writes, Hey, John. I have to disagree with your assessment that it's a moot point to nominate Margot and Greta because they weren't going to win. As they say in football, that's why you play the game. Well, except this isn't sports. This is a board voted upon thing, which is a little bit more predictable than the outcome of a sporting event. At any rate, uh, you just never know what could happen. And it's different than thinking they weren't good enough to earn a spot. That's why I think Florida State deserved a chance, even if they would have lost. All right. Let me first start with your Florida State thing. <laughs> Florida State did not deserve to be in the in the final four. They just didn't. They were not a good enough team by that point. The college football playoff is not determined by best record. If it was determined by best record, every team would want their schedule to be filled with playing the weakest teams in the country so they could have a perfect record. The college football playoff is made up of teams that the voting body determines are the four best teams in the country. And I'm sorry, but everybody with eyeballs who watched the games knew that Florida State was not, by the end of the season, they were not, with the state they were in, they were not one of the four best teams in the country. Alabama would have kicked the shit out of them. Michigan would have kicked the shit out of them. Washington would have kicked the shit out of them. They simply did not deserve to be there. They were not good enough. That's how the college playoff works. The, the, the body votes on who are the four, using their eyeballs, who are the four best teams. Whether they're 12-0 and 0 or 11-1, doesn't matter. Who are the four best teams? And they got it right. They put the four best teams in the playoffs. They, they got it right. <clears throat> so anyway, that aside, so that, that's, that's that's my little sports uh, ranting thing there for now. <clears throat> as far as the Greta and Margot thing, two things. I did not say that it's a moot point. Let me just get this right. It's a moot point to nominate them. I didn't say it's a moot point to nominate them. I said it's a moot point that they didn't get nominated. Right? I would never say it's a moot point to nominate them. It's a big difference to say I think it's a moot point to nominate them versus now after the fact they didn't get nominated, well, now it's kind of a moot point because (coughs) it wouldn't have changed anything, right? We know the way the voters are voting. This isn't a sports game where the ball can bounce the wrong way or anything like that At, at any rate. The main thing is like Florida State, where there were just four teams that were better than Florida state. There are just five nominees who I think are better and more deserving of those best director nominee spots than Greta Gerwig. I think there are five actresses up for best actress that quite frankly deserved it as deserving as Margot Robbie was for it. There were five actresses who I think deserved it a little bit more and again, I'm only speaking for myself. Okay. I'm only speaking for myself, but as I go down the list of the five actresses nominated for best actress, I don't see a single one that I would kick out to make room for Margot Robbie. And I love Margot Robbie. You know, I love Margot Robbie, but this wasn't her best performance. It wasn't as good as like I, Tanya or whatever. And as good of a job as I think Greta Gerwig did, on, on directing Barbie. As I go down the list of the, the people who were nominated for best director, I don't see a single name that I would kick out to make room for her. Right? So it becomes a moot point after the fact, because she had no chance of winning and nor did Margot Robbie have any chance of winning. But if you had asked me yesterday, I would not say it's a moot point for them to get nominated because <clears throat> there's an honor in getting nominated, right? They're, like, Just being nominated for an Academy Award is a huge honor. So that's not moot, right? Getting a nomination is not moot. But they didn't get it. And I think that was the right call. Uh, again, I wouldn't have had a problem if Greta Gerwig had been nominated for Best Director. She was great. I wouldn't have had a problem if Margot Robbie got nominated for Best Actress. She was great. But as I look at the list of the people that did get nominations, I'm sorry. There's nobody I would kick out to make room for them because I think they kind of got it right. But that's just me. That's just one opinion. Just That's just one lone opinion of some Canadian nobody out in the wilderness mm. spouting off his thoughts. That's all. All right. But thank you for sharing your thoughts on that, Bobby Jackson. I really appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. All right. <clears throat> next up. Murray Reich writes, the latest Honest trailer of Captain Marvel also mentions the villain's motives from Spaceballs. I have not seen. I love Honest trailers. Uh, They're great. I have not seen this one, though. Thank you for letting me know about it, though, Murray. I'm going to have to go and check it out. John Redcorn writes, Am I Dreaming Dreaming was snubbed for best song. Oh, from... um, From uh, Spider-Man Across Spiders? Uh, I don't know about that. You know, I I went on... By the way, that song by Metro Boomin is a terrific song. I love it. I've got it on my playlist. But I tend to lean more towards songs that are really integrated in the film and whose lyrics directly speak to the film. And songs like Billie Eilish's from Barbie do that. Songs like I Am Ken uh, or I'm just can do that. Um, and so I'm, I'm more, so I, I love that song, man. I love that song, but I, I'm okay. That it didn't get nominated because again, I think it's just a great song that happened to be placed in a movie, but that's just kind of how, how I look at it. All right. Thanks for that, John. Next up, uh, Christopher Brickner writes, uh, Wilson Bethel, Uh, will return as Benjamin Poindexter slash Bullseye in Daredevil Born Again. He may be the main villain as Bullseye hates Kingpin and Daredevil. Are you saying you're predicting that he will, or has there been some kind of news story that I missed? Uh, Guys in the live chat, help me out. If you can, was there some kind of news story that came out that I missed that he is going to be back? Like, I'm not talking about some rumor reported by somebody, but I mean, uh, is it Robert uh, Presser is saying it's a story, but is it like Holly? Here's my question. Is it Hollywood reporter variety, um, the rap, or is it some source somewhere on the Internet? rumor is out there. So I, I I need to know the context, but at any rate, because somebody asked me earlier today, if I thought they would bring back that bullseye, I said, it's possible they could, but I don't think they will. I think they might want to do something different with that. I'm so, I mean, so right now I I'm guessing this is just kind of a, uh, uh, a rumor out there, but a rumor is kind of worth nothing. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. But if he does, he does, it's certainly possible they could, but, um, again, unless it's being reported in Variety or The Hollywood Reporter, I wouldn't take it to the bank. Doesn't mean it's not true. I'm just saying I wouldn't take it to the bank quite yet. All right. Well, see, Dominic Suma is saying CBR reported it. But who is CBR saying they heard it from? Um, see, and Somebody else saying Screen Rant rumored it. But who are they saying they heard it from? That's the thing. CBR is saying they heard from this place. So who's the place they're saying they heard it from? And again, until it's coming from the Hollywood Reporter variety, take it with a grain of salt. Again, not saying it's not true, just saying take it with a grain of salt until it's more official. Okay, next up. We've got uh, Damaris Love who writes, Shogun's coming February 27th. Who's ready? Guys, have you guys seen the new trailer for Shogun? You guys will remember, right? You guys will remember back during that big, famous Disney Investor Day stream where they announced all these Marvel projects. They announced Fantastic Four. They announced all these Star Wars projects. They announced all this stuff, right? And if you guys watched my live stream when I was I was live streaming, watching the live stream, and they start, we at Effects love shows that are like this. And so when we found a story that was like this and this, and I started going, for those guys, you guys who watched this video of mine, you guys know, before they even said Shogun, I'm like, are, th- are they, holy shit, are they talking about Shogun? Are they talking about Shogun? Because those of you who have followed me all the way back since the movie blog days, you guys always know, I've always said, what's the dream project that's never been done that I would love to see brought to a movie screen or a remake of it done? I've said Shogun. Shogun, James Clavell's Shogun. They, somebody's got to do that. And I had lost all hope. I never believed somebody would actually do it. And then I'm watching that Disney stream and they go, so we are thrilled to bring shogun to FX and Hulu. And I was like, (gasps) like I was so free. Nothing else that day excited me more. No Star Wars piece of news, no Marvel piece of news, nothing else excited me more than Shogun. So I saw, first of all, the first trailer bonkers good. This new trailer for Shogun, I'm going to call it right now. This is going to be the best show of the year. I'm going to call right now. Shogun is going to be the best show of the year. It might suck. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe we'll tune in and watch it and it'll be terrible. FX makes some pretty damn good TV. They made Sons of Anarchy. But I'm I'm predicting it's going to be the best show of the year. There is not a show I'm more excited for right now than um, than this. More excited for. And uh, somebody's saying, what about Andor? A- Andor's not coming out this year. We're not getting Andor season two this year. I'm pretty sure we're not. Anyway, so uh, I'm talking about this year. Shogun is going to be the best show of the year. I cannot wait. And I'm definitely going to do an after show for it. I know I haven't done after shows lately at all for the last forever, but I am definitely going to be doing an after show for Shogun. 100% I'm going to do an after show for Shogun. All right. And uh, (laughs) King Teddy Goat is saying, I'll pray it's good for you because you... You are going to see a grown man with a broken heart if this show sucks, man. I am going to be so downtrodden if this show sucks. All right. Next up, we go to Kyle Grinder, who writes, I know you said in the past that the Thunderbolts doesn't stand a chance against Sentry, but could they power down Sentry much like Drax was was for Guardians of the Galaxy? Well, that, that's always the asterisk I always gave in those conversations, right, Kyle? Like, I always, I talked a lot about back when we were talking about that, I said, they would have, I mean, we can't get the comic book Sentry. It would have to be a much downpowered Sentry. Would have to be. Not just for the Thunderbolts, but for the MCU as a whole. Like, I know a lot of people don't know who Sentry is, but Sentry is, hes he is the closest thing to Superman that the Marvel Universe has. To put it in context is that when they did, when Marvel did one of the best contained stories in comic history, Planet Hulk and then World War Hulk, which are bonkers great. At the end of the day, after Hulk wiped out everybody, wiped out everybody, ev- all of Earth's heroes and champions try to stand up to Hulk and he's just boom, right? It all came down to the government trying to talk Sentry into getting involved and fight Hulk. And World War Hulk ends with Hulk, the, the most invincible, unstoppable Hulk ever versus Sentry. <clears throat> and it, they basically fight basically to a draw, Right? And it's, it's crazy, but that's how, uh, powerful. And because also the thing is about Sentry, they've written him to have just about every superpower you can imagine. Any superpower you can imagine, he's basically exhibited at some point. He can do everything, right? So it's crazy. So we did an editorial video on Sentry once after they announced that he was going to be coming into thunderbolts and and even then we said they're gonna have to power him down they have to power him down because unless they do severely power him down what is anybody in the thunderbolts going to do with sentry nothing but even now that hulk himself is kind of wussed out there's nobody in the mcu There's nobody in the MCU that has the remotest chance against a comic accurate sentry. So they will bring him in and they'll have to power him down. I mean, that's just what they have to do. And, um, and hopefully they still make him a great character though. All right. Next up, Mr. Godzilla writes, um, Hey John, uh, I, Y, O, Do you think the film Japan chose over Godzilla Minus One was the better choice for Japan for best film? And if Godzilla Minus One was nominated for best foreign film, did it have a shot to win? Here's the thing, to be honest with you, I had such a good time with Godzilla Minus One. You guys saw my out-of-theater reaction. You guys heard us talk about it on the show. I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed, um, Godzilla minus one, like a lot. I don't think though, as much as I liked it, (coughs) that it was a contender for like top five best films of the year. Um, I, again, I really had a good time with it. I thought it was really good, but I thought it was really, really good for a Godzilla movie. I don't think Godzilla minus one. And again, I'm somebody who gives it two enthusiastic thumbs up. But I don't believe it belongs in the same conversation with Oppenheimer. I don't believe it belongs in the same conversation with poor things or past lives or in the same conversation with Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, It's a very good entertaining movie. I had a very good time with it. But I didn't think it was that good, right? Right. And it comes down to the same thing. When you ask if it was nominated for Best Foreign Film, did it have a shot to win? Well, you don't know that unless you've watched, and I can't give an answer for that unless I've watched all the other nominees for Best Foreign Film. But I can tell you, uh, give me one second here to pull this up. Um, Let's... Hold on a Let me see if I can find it. Now I can't find it. Hold on a second. This is this is driving me crazy here. Um uh, why can't I find this? I'm looking up, I'm trying to look up the list for best foreign language film. Let me, let me just scroll through here. There's best actress, best supporting actor, directing, writing, original, international feature film. Okay. So would it have had a chance to win best uh, foreign film or best, what they're calling it now, best international feature film? Zero chance. And the reason it had zero chance is because one of those nominated films is Zone of Interest. And Zone of Interest is nominated not just for Best International Feature Film. It's nominated for Best Picture. Right? Zone of Interest, if I scroll back up here, uh, Zone of Interest is... Here's the list of the films nominated for Best Picture overall. Zone of Interest is also nominated for Best Picture. So I can 100% guarantee you if the only foreign language film or international film that is nominated for best picture overall is zone of interest. I 100% guarantee you zone of interest is going to win best international feature because if any of the other films win best international feature, well, they have to go, well, then why is, isn't that film nominated for best picture? Uh zone of interest will win this award easily. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, by all means, correct me. I might be wrong about this. But I, as far as I can recall, every time there was a movie for Best Foreign Language Film nominated that was also nominated for Best Picture, that movie won the Best Foreign Language Film every time. As far as I know, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there has ever been a time that a movie that was nominated for Best Picture and Best Foreign Language Film didn't win Best Foreign Language Film. I don't think it's ever happened. So no, Godzilla minus one. Uh, as all the other nominated films in this category had zero chance of winning, had zero chance of winning. All right. Uh, Next up, we go to... (coughs) Where are we at? We are at uh, Nico, who writes, I like the fact that you don't rant very often. Makes it that much better when it happens. My top three John Campion rants. One, Stephen Dorff and Scarlet. Two, Jack Hind. Oh, well, yeah, that wasn't a movie thing. Uh, three, Disneyland slash Rise the Resistance. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the Jack Hind thing, I don't want to re-go into that all again. I, I I don't know where this guy is now today. And for all I know, this Jack kid is a really nice guy and just did and said something really stupid and whatever. But I mean, I got kind of hot for those who don't know about it. It was long after I had left Collider and, you know, from the day that I left Collider, Collider started to decline in their numbers and they declined and declined and declined and declined. And eventually the John Campion show was getting bigger numbers than Collider was and whatever. And eventually, and I thought Collider could have still been awesome. I thought Collider still could have been great if they had done certain things. And I gave them some recommendations after I left. I said, I think you need to do this. I think you need to put this person here. I think you need to do this person here. And I think philosophically you need to do this. And I think if you do, I think you can still kick a lot of ass and be awesome. And they ignored everything I told them to do. They ignored every single detail of what I told them to do. Whatever. It is what it is. Um... And eventually, once they declined enough, the guy who I was told at the time, somebody who had come on board long after I left and that other people had other people who were still a collider commuted, communicated to me was the number two guy in charge over a collider. Now, Mark Sanchez, who I still communicate with now and again, by the way, I Mark and I still communicate once in a while. Um <clears throat> And I think Dennis Zen still works with Mark, by the way. Anyway, uh, now Mark Sanchez told me, no, Jack wasn't the number two. But, but so whichever. I was told by a bunch of people at Clider that he was the number two. Mark says he wasn't. Regardless, Collider got to the point where they made the decision. They were basically going to shut down almost everything on the video side. And they were going to be letting everybody go. And again, maybe Jack is a really nice kid and, and maybe he just said, listen, we all do and say stupid things now and again, right? I have, you have, we all do. So <laughs> I don't know, maybe he was a good kid and he just said something really stupid. But what happened was like this Jack Kind kid got on social media and basically started started mocking and making fun of all the people that were losing their jobs at Collider. And what hit me more personally was he basically started to insult all the types of shows that I had created there. And I got really, really hot. Um I got really hot and real angry about that. Cause not, I mean, it was their right to shut everything down and that's fine. That was a business decision. I have no qualms with that. It didn't have to come to that, but it's the decision they made for their business and I have no qualms with that. But, you know, they started going off on, you know, um, certain people, (coughs) certain people, They started going off. The Jack Hines started targeting saying, oh, these shows were basically stupid. They were nothing but fart joke shows and all this kind of stuff. And it it just got me really upset. And you know what? To be fair, and this is some self-criticism, maybe it would have been wiser for me to have taken a day, like waited one day and then did a public response video. But I just thought it was really, you know, not classy to kind of like basically make fun of the only reason this kid had a job was because of the shows I created. These fart joke shows were the reason this kid had a job. And then to kind of belittle all the people that got fired Um, afterwards, like I said, it just, it just kind of made me hot. And then I I responded pretty hot. I I admit it. I I responded kind of hot and maybe I responded hotter, hotter than I needed to. Um, it's, it's just like, for me, I think you guys will know that all, one of the, one of the hard things about being a boss one of the hard things about being in charge is that sometimes you need to make decisions that are what's best for the company. You need to make decisions about what's best for the team and what's best for the organization. And sometimes that means you have to make decisions that are best for the organization, but not best for a particular person. And sometimes, listen, over my time working at AMC and my time working at Collider, there were times I had to let people go. There were times I had to fire people. There were times that I got along great with people and times that there were some people that didn't like me very much. But that's part of, that's part of the deal if you're going to sit in the chair. If you're going to be in charge, that's part of the deal right? You're going to have to make unpopular decisions. You're going to be right. Sometimes you're going to be wrong sometimes. And sometimes, and listen, I'll I'll tell you straight up. I'm not going to name names. I, I ended up having some real useless people working for me. And that's my fault because I'm the one hiring them. I have nobody else to blame but me. Sometimes I got tricked. Sometimes people conned me into thinking they were good for the job. Maybe sometimes it was somebody else hired them and brought them into my organization, whatever. I worked with some amazing people, I also worked with some pretty useless people, but, and you guys can go back and, and you will know this is true. Part of the reason why I got so upset about the Jack Hind thing, like calling out and making fun of certain people specifically, um, including like Ken Knapsack. Are you kidding me? Ken Knapsack? Ken Knapsack was great. Worked his ass off poured his heart and energy into everything. And he was a terrific talent in that organization. And I remember Jack kind taking target, like specifically making fun of like Ken And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like, anyway, I had, I have always had a rule and I still do to this day. I have never talked about anybody that I had ever let go. Never once. Even when some really untrue made up bullshit stories started floating around about a certain person who got let go or whatever, even when that would happen, I have a rule. I will never speak publicly about people that I had to fire or let go or used to work for me or whatever. I never have. I never will. Um, I remember there was one situation once where I had to let, I let somebody go. Um, and I had like somebody who was just relentless, like writing in, you owe us an explanation why this person isn't there anymore. And I said, look, number one, you're not owed anything. Number two, why this person was let go is that person's business, not your business. And I said, how would you like it if your boss fired you from your job and then got on social media and started telling everybody about why they fired you? That wouldn't be very nice, right? So I remember saying <laughs> this one time. This one person was like, just coming at me hard, like you owe us an explanation. Why isn't this person here anymore? And I said, listen, it's not your business why this person isn't here anymore. It's their business. Now, if that person wants to tell you why they got fired, that's on. They can do that because it's their business. They have a right to do that. You don't have a right to demand an answer for it. Because I just always believe that. And when. When Jack Hind at the time kind of, and I know I've gone off on this huge side story, forgive me. That's, that's one of the great things about open mic. We can just casually talk here, but that's part of the reason why it made me so hot. I thought this is really, really classless. I thought what you should be doing kid is saying it sucks that we have to shut all these shows down. It sucks that we have to lose all these tremendously talented and gifted and wonderful people, but it's part of the business. And it's just what we had to do. And we wish everybody well. That's what you say, right? That's what you say. And um, <clears throat> it was kind of, you know, it, it was just kind of difficult. And listen, even for me, it, it's 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 been difficult sometimes when I've had to let people go at different times and then see these really false narratives start going around. And I've been tempted in the past to say, no, 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 I didn't fire this person for this. I fired them for this. But I've decided, you know what, nope. Not gonna do it. And I never have. Never in the 10 plus years. I guess it's been longer than that now since I've been at AMC, but never in the 10, 11, 12, 13 years that I've been a boss have I ever once talked about why somebody wasn't with me anymore. Unless it was for a good reason, you know, like Aaron Cummings now lives in New York and you know all that kind of stuff. Unless it was for a good reason, it was fine. And I just never thought, um, that was a, another part of the reason why I was so upset with the Jack thing was mocking people who lost their jobs publicly. It was insulting the shows that made it possible for this kid to have a job. And again, I I think I over, I, in hindsight, heh, no pun intended, hindsight? No, in hindsight, honestly, I probably overreacted and got more angry about it than I should have. And in hindsight, I probably should have taken an extra day to, to think about it and, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it was one of those things. Anyway, sorry I went on that so long. It's the, open mic is also kind of like an area of catharsis for me, I suppose. Anyway, um, thank you for that, Nico. Appreciate that. <laughs> okay. Next up King daddy goat writes, John, um, how do my internets fare this weekend? Huh? Oh, the next one. 49ers, not interest. All right. How do my internets fare this weekend? I don't know. I hope you have really good internets. How do your 49ers fare this weekend? I think your 49ers are going to fare very well. A lot will depend on Debo. As long as Debo is back and can play, I think they will not beat the hell out of the Lions, but comfortably will move on to the Super Bowl. If Debo Samuels is not playing, Detroit's defense could give you some fits. Although as long as you guys have the true MVP of the league, the human cheat code, Christian McCaffrey, it's just unfair that this guy is in the league. He's just unfair. Um, As long as you guys got him, you'll always have a chance to win. But I think a lot will have to depend on if Debo Samuels plays. All right. Next up, uh, Mukhtadir Ali sends in a super chat just to be supportive. Thank you so much for that, man. I appreciate that, dude. Robert Presser writes, uh, "Who would you like to see in Spider-Man Four? I don't care. You got, you guys know. I get these questions: Who should be in this future movie? Who should be? Th-? I always say I don't care. It doesn't matter. Anyway, who would you like to see in Spider-Man Four? I would love it if they introduced Black Cat and um, and him run into Daredevil on a mission. Maybe Tombstone too. I honestly don't care. All I care about is write a great story." That's it. Because I, I, you guys know what I'm going to say, right? <clears throat> they had Dr. Doom, one of the greatest comic book characters in history. They had Dr. Doom in that Fantastic Four movie a few years ago. That didn't make the movie good. Just because you put in Dr. Doom doesn't make the movie good. You got to have a great story and a great script. And if you do, it doesn't matter if you use this character, or this character, or this character, or this character. It doesn't matter. So, I don't really care about, uh, honestly, Robert, like which characters they do or don't bring into Spider-Man 4. All I care about is that they follow the tradition of the last three Spider-Man movies, which I think have been very good, write a great story, make it a personal story. I don't need a bunch of cameo porn. I don't need him to run into Daredevil and have him run into Sam Wilson and have him run into Echo. And like I, I don't need that. If you want to do that, that's fine but just write a great story. And as long as they write a great story, to me, doesn't matter which characters they put in there or not. All right. <coughs> Sorry, guys, I'm starting to cough a little bit more. Uh, Robert also writes, not all sports fans are good sports fans. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously that's true. 100% that's true. One, like, I'm not trying to suggest that's, that's not the case. Anyway, literally a pregnant woman tried to push me over a railing with her, um, tried to push me over a railing with her is USC was beating Clemson. Okay, yes. <clears throat> not all sports fans are great sports fans. Sorry, guys, I have to take another hauls. Um, <clears throat> 100, I'm not trying to suggest it is. I'm just saying, as a whole, sports fandom is a little bit more advanced in how we know how to conduct ourselves than, say, we in movie fandom, or really especially in video game fandom, Right. Uh, but there are absolutely bad eggs, 100%. There are. I'm just saying, in general, sports fans know how to handle their fandom a little bit better than, say, we movie fans do, or like video game fans do. That's that's all I was saying. All right, and because sports have been around a lot longer, right? Fan, the, the sports fandom is a much longer fandom. It's been around long before. Um, video games and stuff like that. So I'm sure once video game fandom has been around as long as sports fandom, it'll be like a a much more mature fandom as well. That's just my thought. Anyway, uh, Robert says, uh, oh, almost. this was a continuation. With her belly, sorry, my bad. Again, not all sports fans are like that, but there's some definitely thin-skinned people in all mediums. 100%, I'm just talking more overall in general, but there are definitely individuals. All right, Delayed Critique, I like that username writes, Colin D here. Sorry about the confusion with my question. I was referring to its opening day, Monday, December 25th, making 18 million. Uh, thank you for all you do. Um, I'd have to go back and, and, and re the numbers again. If so, the 60% drop would always be equivalent and looked at in terms of its opening weekend numbers, right? And I can't remember which day, December 25th, falls on, if that was part of the weekend or not, but that would have something to do with any of the mathematical oddities. It, it actually always happens when a movie opens on anything other than Thursday night or Friday, it causes mathematical oddities with calculus. People don't understand those numbers aren't calculated into opening weekend and all this kind of stuff. So I would have to see the actual specifics of it, but I appreciate you, uh, uh giving me the heads up on that and clarifying what you meant by that. All right, next up, uh, motor world hype Rights it's an exclusive report from CBR. So they aren't revealing the source much like in the way Jeff Snyder keeps his sources secret. Okay. So again, I, you guys know, I like CBR. I, we will quote CBR at least a couple of times a week on our show. We'll use them in our research a lot. Got a lot of respect for CBR. That said, so if they say somebody told them something, I believe they were told that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that what they were told is accurate. This is why I always say that until it comes from Variety or The Hollywood Reporter, take it with a grain of salt. And I say that even about sources and sites that I respect a lot. But the reality is, you know, while I 100% believe Cbar when they say they got told that, doesn't necessarily mean I believe that they were told accurate information. So I believe them, but I may not believe their source. Again, it, it always comes down to when it comes from Variety in the Hollywood Reporter, then you can take it to the bank. Until then, pay attention to it, but take it with a grain of salt. Right? I always say that every single time. Just put it in the back burner and take it with a grain of salt until it comes from an actual more legitimate source. And again, that's not saying CBR is not a legitimate source. I use them all the time. But again, there's the Hollywood Reporter and Variety, and then there's everybody else. And once it comes from there, then. But, uh, but uh, again, something to keep our eyes on. If it's coming from CBR, it's at least something to keep your eye on and, and see if this actually manifests into something. So we'll keep our eye open to it. And guys, that'll do it. Holy crap. That was a two-hour show. That was a two-hour open mic. Uh, and we will do it again Tomorrow. Uh, But that'll do it for now, guys, for today's installment of Open Mic. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it very, very much. Um, Yeah, make sure you guys come back. Join me, Rob, uh, Jonathan, Ray for tomorrow's installment of the John Campbell Show. We'll look forward to having you there. And of course, we'll do Open Mic again tomorrow afternoon. Hope you guys will come by and hang out with us as we do. So that'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks to everybody for being here. Big special thank you to everybody who sent sending questions, number one, because you gave us interesting things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so very much for your support. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.